there's deeper things that, you know, kind of go into me as well. So I have a, a sister of special needs. She's not mentally retarded, but she's in that kind of spectrum. So she's my eldest sister. I lost my, my older brother when I was 17. He was eight, um, he was 18. He committed suicide. So I think, you know, um, empathy and understanding people and trying to connect to people, you know, is, you know, it's hard. It, what's really important is that everyone's going through their own difficulty. I mean, COVID especially has been really challenging for people. So I think those two humans, people in my life have been my big motivations. It's not money. It's not fame. It's not doing the seven summits. It's not building billion dollar businesses. It's really trying to find that common ground with, with everyone. And when you come from humble roots, you have to, in order to get by, you have to find ways of connecting with people to help you grow as a person, to develop the skills that you need to interact with people and engage with people. You are listening to The Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that was Stephen Novick, the founder and CEO of FarmStand, who claims empathy is at the core of his motivation. In this episode, Novik shares his journey to launching a fresh food delivery service, how to be radically transparent, and why hiring people who align with your values should be priority number one. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the real Stephen Novik. Enjoy. Said we'll get this show on the road here. Here we go in five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is Stephen Novick, the CEO of FarmStand. Stephen, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So, Stephen, you've got a pretty inspiring story. I listened to it earlier uh, or yesterday. Uh, so I, first off, I just want to have you share your inspiring story and let our audience know how this story goes. So I guess a little bit of background. I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, grew up very working class. Uh, dad worked in a factory. Mom worked in a supermarket. We lived in a, a government subsidized housing project. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've done some interesting things, I guess, since then. So I've um, I, I moved from Wisconsin to, to New York and uh, went to university at NYU, um, funded my way through university to, to, to graduate there. I've then gone on to build um, two businesses where I've, I've been involved in my far, farm stands, my fourth startup, but I've been involved in three other businesses. Two became billion dollar businesses and one was in technology. Um, one was based in the US and one one was based in in the UK where I'm, where I'm living now. In... Um, in 2006, I was diagnosed with cancer, um, and that's one of the reasons why we started FarmStand um, is I switched to a plant-based diet, which is kind of what we're mostly about as plants, but we're kind of, you know, got a broader remit than that, mostly about healthy and planet-conscious food. Um, but in addition to that, when I got diagnosed, I then went off and climbed um, the seven summits. So I, I cl- climbed Everest in 18 months after all my cancer treatment. And my last of the seven summits was I did a traverse of Denali, which is used to be called Mount McKinley. So that's a little bit of my background. Interesting. So you're actually the second guest who's come on this show who had cancer and then went to a plant-based diet and started a plant-based company. Uh, interesting. Why? Why? Why does one 
How does one come to uh, that moment where you say, you know, I need to switch to a plant-based diet and I need to do more maybe with, with my life? Well, it was 2006. So a lot of the plant-based diets really weren't really mainstream. There's been a lot of really good books have been written around that time frame, even a little bit before. Um, there's one about one that's called um, the anti-cancer kind of way of life. And it's something along those lines, the title. Another one is um, the China study, which talks a lot about why plant-based diet is good for you. They actually mentioned in some of the footnotes, oddly enough, they're talking about plants, but they talk a bit about fish in those. But I think a lot of it is I did a lot of research. And what I realized in, in general is that, you know, when I had stuff like dairy or meat, you know, it, it certainly um, impacted my energy levels, which as you might imagine, um, you don't want to have these issues when you're trying to fight off um, cancer. Um, I also looked at a lot of things like sugar and other things. So it was more broad based than just plants, but I, you know, I, I, I now I'm plant-based and, and I avoid sugar and I avoid dairy and all these things. But that being said, if I go to a restaurant with friends or I'm at people's houses and meats on the menu or fish is on the menu or cheese, we're having pizza, like, you know, I just roll with it. But in my house, what I eat and how I eat is, is, is plants. And it's, it's, you know, it's 14 years after my, when I was diagnosed. So I was diagnosed on the 19th of December of, uh, you know, 2006. And so my, my anniversary is coming up in, in a few short weeks. Oh, well, congratulations. Good for you all. We're happy you're here, obviously. Um, and, and that's, that's a major feat. Now, what were some of the changes that you noticed immediately when you switched that plant-based diet? Like I'm well, kind of interested in my stepdad's vegan. Like, what? I think the key, yeah, I think the key thing you'll notice is that your energy levels tend to go up a lot, at least initially. Now the, the problem you do have is you do have pro you, you miss protein because a lot of the, the proteins you get from traditional things like a meat or a dairy, you have to find alternatives. And there are a lot, you know, there's a lot of plant-based proteins that are very good. There's a lot of supplements you can take. Um, so I do, you know, like, like powders, a pea powder or a hemp powder added to, mm. you know, an organic uh, soy-based product, soya, you know, I don't, I don't drink milk. So, and I don't, a lot of use rice milk. So soya, if it's organic and it's sourced in the right locations, you know, that's a high protein thing as well. So I think those things really had to help because you initially feel a lot of energy, but then you're, you're craving protein. So that's something you have to offset it, but, uh, slept better just in general as a clear thinker complexion. Um, you know, I was never really an overweight person, but I was always, I've always been pretty fit, but I, I turned 50 in March this year and got a six pack. I got a resting heart rate in the mid forties. So all these things are combined and it just gives you a lot more energy and, you know, all these things are a benefit. There's a lot of benefits of a vegan diet. And I know a few people who've come on the show and say maybe they'll do it for an environmental reason, um, an ethical reason with animals, uh, just because it tastes good. Uh, and there's a lot of different reasons to do it. So when you started FarmStand, like what was the main intention of building this, uh, you know, plant-based delivery service. Yeah. So like what we initially started off as we, we had a, a pop-up restaurant in my house for one night only. It was a year to the date before we started the business. So it was in January, uh, 25th of 
2015. So I had 200 people come over. It was always a build your own concept. So, you know, base, main and, and, and sides. It was always this, what I describe as a flexitarian approach. So we always had meat, we've always had fish, but they're always sustainably or ethically sourced. And plants were always the basis of the menu. So 80% veggie, 65% vegan, 5% sustainable fish and 15% ethical meat. We've always had desserts like blondies and brownies. We've always avoided added sugar, but we do add sugars just to sweet treats because they wouldn't be sweet without them. We believe in doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It had to be about affordability. So breakfast from like $3 and lunch and dinner from $7 to $8, which I know seems surprising, but that's how we've always priced it. And our margins, gross margins have always been in the, the 60s and 70s. But the initial concept was we had a central kitchen, so we'd cook everything centrally. Um, to lower our labor costs and control quality. And then the second thing is we ultimately wanted to be, a, you know, a business to business relationships, we wanted to have concessions inside canteens. Well, I didn't believe you could start that by doing purely that as a model. So you had, you can just walk into an office and say, Hey, JP Morgan, or Hey, Aramark, you know, which is a, one of the largest contract caterers, you know, this is our food, you know, can we work with you? So we set up a restaurant as a showroom to market not only our products, our food, but also our brand. And you know, we've been in we've been in the New York Times and Vogue and and a lot of other publications. And even the New York Times described us as this is wellness for all based on our pricing. But the initial model was we had a brick and mortar location. And then we use that to get into large corporate relationships to develop that business to business channel. When COVID hit, we got rid of everything that was brick and mortar related. And we've switched to only, you know, cooking in our central kitchen and then delivering in bulk to offices, the ones that were still open a little bit, um, uh, co-working spaces, which we've always had. And then we also got a side pivot where we started working with food markets as well um, when COVID hit. Now we've raised another, call it two and a half million dollars off of crowdfunding and from existing investors. And we're launching effectively a direct to consumer product, which is bulk meal delivery to home. So we're a lot like Freshly, which uh, is a big business in the US, just bought for a billion and a half dollars by, by Nestle. They only do single meals. So we do bulk. So we, and everything about us is sustainability. And so all of our packaging is compostable, recyclable, or reusable. And, you know, our model is subscription based. Whether you're a company or you're an individual, there are minimum meals we can deliver to you per day or per week. Um, and that's kind of how it works. Okay. So I, I use Green Chef. Is that a similar example or do you, is it, is it different? Yeah. I mean, I think those are interesting models, but a lot of these businesses, whether you're Green Chef or other things, like there's meal kit businesses out there like HelloFresh or Blue Apron. Right. We're not a meal kit business. Um, there are frozen businesses out there that do frozen food. In the UK, there's one called Cook. There's another one called Mind Mindful Chef that was just bought by Nestle for a couple hundred million dollars as well. They're, these are all friends of ours, but these are all frozen. Our food is... is um, Again, everything's vacuum packed. It's it's chilled. It's ready to eat mil- meals. If you do want to freeze the okay. food, you can. But for us, it's you heat and eat in literally five minutes. The bag show the box shows up. You you can take your meals out. You can literally stack them about this high. You get twelve meals. It's a base. It's a main and a side. 
you put it in a, a pan or sorry, in a, a large pot, you boil the hot water. That takes a couple of minutes. You then have it boiling yeah. hot water. You put the bags in and you can heat and eat and for an entire family in five minutes. And there's not a lot of dishwashing after that as well. So it's really efficient. Our meals change, um, weekly, but we have core products that stay online as well. So it, and because we've been doing this for over four years, you know, our business was, you know, our, our brick and mortar aspect of our business was profitable. Um, now that we're having to restart and do things, we think the business could be profitable in, in literally just probably by March of next year. Um, but it's got really extremely fast growth and high, very high growth. Stephen, plant-based meat has been, or just plant-based diets, like you said, mentioned, uh, it's fairly new to a lot of different people. Uh, one, I'm just curious, what made you want to move to the UK? And then two, what were some of the constraints that you ran into in terms of uh, scalability? So, I, I, as I mentioned, I've been involved in a couple of other startups. This is my, my fourth. Um, when I was 30, I'd sold my second internet business. I was worth you know, quite a bit of money. I hadn't really traveled very much. You know, a lot of people in the U S don't travel very much. I'd been to probably six countries. Mm. So the main reason I was wanting to travel, but I was recruited by a venture capital investment firm here that had offices in 16 cities. I oversaw the entire portfolio of 20 companies sat on boards of public and private companies. I was 30 at the time. And so the main, main reason was to travel as I mentioned, you know, I I I, I, my, I read a book called The Seven Summits, which was by Dick Bass, and so those were my aspirations initially. And now I've been to all seven continents, over a hundred countries, and that was the main driver. In terms of setting up the business on scalability, we really haven't had any issues with scalability. For us, it's been you know us having the bandwidth ourselves, so it's been more a, a team based thing. So we're we had twelve concessions, you know. Pre-COVID, um, we agreed a partnership to roll out another fifty. So this was all, you know, trending in the right direction. We had a, a revenue pipeline of around twenty-five million dollars. So we everything was going in the right direction. But again, as Mike Tyson said, just you know, the boxing match. You know, you know, everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face. Well, we got punched in the face and we got knocked out cold. So we got back up and we've just found a, a better model that is now, you know you know, protected from COVID and the whole business to business relationships will come back. You know, they're in, we're in discussion with people constantly and it's whether or not when people are allowed back into the office, which is why we're launching the direct consumer aspect of the business. We're launching that um, at the end of January. We've been doing trials for the last 60 days. We're doing another trial where the whole subscription service will be working. That will be happening the week of the 14th of December. And then we'll launch it throughout the entire UK at the end of January. And based on the relationships we have, our cost to acquire a customer online will be very, very low. And as I said, you know, we achieve profitability when we're only doing about 600 meals a day. And pre-COVID, we were doing up to 3,000 meals a day. So this, this it, it should go pretty well. Well, let's hope it does. Now, uh, many consumers, I would assume, would be uh, conscious consumers who are, are consuming this, this plant-based diet. Uh, do you share with them uh, where the plants come from, how they're harvested, the, the chemicals or no chemicals that are used in them? Like what type of farming, regenerative, organic, like how do you uh, be transparent with those consumers? Yes, we believe in something called radical transparency. Ray Dalio has been talking about this for a number of years, you know, at Bridgewater and 
we had, we had some people that work with him for a number of years. So again, our focus is really flexitarian. So we don't believe that everyone wants to be a plant-based eater and not everyone can be a plant-based eater. So it's back to the whole veggie, vegan, fish and, um, and meat. Everything's ethically sourced. We have, uh, for us, we have a, you know, we're carbon neutral, which is something that's really important. All of our packaging is either compostable, recyclable, or reusable. Our, our distribution is carbon neutral as well. So we've always done this and we've always provided, um, you know, a hundred percent traceability on where we, we, you know, get our, our products, whether it's the meat or the fish. And again, this is all, all sustainably sourced. All of our suppliers are based in the UK, but what's nice about our business is we also have touch points in the US and Asia. So if we want to scale there, we can very much do that. We describe our offering as an international recipe without the carbon footprint. And because you can build your own base main inside, you can always be customizing this. And what's great about it is, again, even as, as a home-based person that's doing this, you can do the same thing. So even we may give you 12 meals, it's the minimum order that you get either delivered to you weekly, um, bi-weekly, or once a month, it's that minimum order of 12 meals. So it averages, a weighted average, you're looking at 3.75 meals on average, you know, per month for all of our customers, the business side, obviously it's much, much higher. So that, you know, that allows um, for us to, to make our business super scalable. It doesn't require, you know, people to be fixed in if people want to delay it or, you know, in terms of timings, we allow that complete flexibility, which is what makes our model really nice. But on on the ingredient side, to answer your question, we make sure we provide hundred percent traceability provide nutritional data on everything, You're looking at between 500 to 600 grams of uh, um, 500 to 600 um, calories per meal, about 500 grams per meal. So it's a, these are big portions and they're very fairly priced. And if you're looking at, you know, $6 a meal for that, you know, you can compete with McDonald's or, you know, Chipotle or any of the big brands in the U.S., if you go to any uh, sustainable conference or impact conference, they're going to ask you or talk about measuring uh, your impact. How do you measure something like this? And, and do you take that into consideration? Yeah, so very good question. So we, we've been doing this for a little while. We kind of twist ourselves into, I twist myself into a pretzel to make sure this all would work. You know, getting the right packaging, getting the right sourcing and all that kind of thing. But we've had, there's a, a food made good group that's uh, part of a broader group called the Sustainable Restaurant Association, but they deal with both online and offline brands and they do audits. We also have another group um, that we're now called Food Steps that analyzes everything that we do and, and make sure that we can make the credit, the, you know, the, the points about being carbon neutral. We're going to be, hopefully be carbon negative by next year as well by the other things that we're going to be doing. But yeah, we rely upon third parties. We don't just make claims that are not true. Um, anyone we work with, whether there be a supplier or a distribution partner, they have to make all this stuff verified. All of our team are paid a London living wage so that we have to be verified by that. We've gone through a B Corp filing as well. Our initial rating is over 150, which you need to qualify. It's got to be over 80. So that's been ongoing and that will hopefully be sorted by mid next year. They've had a lot of, a lot of backlog of people. We've also been named a top two most sustainable food business two years in a row by the Sustainable Restaurant Association. We've been given the Food Made Good Awards. This is out of 16,000 
food businesses, both online and offline in Europe. So we, we took second two years in a row. You know, I think it's a political thing too. So we're a kid, new kid on the block. So that's been part of it, an issue as well. We won some other awards too. We've been, went over 20 awards or we won over 10 awards for our food and sustainability and been in over 20 publications. Uh, what I also find so interesting is uh, people overlook the governance of a company. Uh, they see all the, the great things you're doing with sourcing the food, uh, making it accessible for people to eat a, a healthy, either a vegan or, or sustainable fish or you know some type of healthy diet. Um, but also, I think, uh, and for anyone listening to this, I'd highly recommend, recommend watching Stephen's uh, TED Talk uh, on YouTube. Uh, just type it in on, on on a Google search, but you talk a lot about like uh, solving inequity and starting the company to be more equitable. Like maybe explain to our audience why you find that so important and how you incorporate that into a company. Yeah, so the TED Talk is start with equality and you know how to you know start you know how to do anything in life, but even start a business around that. So. Values and behaviors and what we stand for has been the core of what FarmSand has been around since the very beginning. I grew up very working class. As I mentioned, my dad worked in a factory, third shift. Mom worked in a supermarket. So I didn't, we didn't have a lot of money. And, you know, so the base around, you know, making sure that everyone's treated equally was really important. So the first thing was, you know, we assembled a team that was very diverse, both culturally and gender. So our, and our board Board of directors is also gender balanced, so half women and half men. We've always had this, and we've had some super impressive businesses and people that are on the board, and I'll talk about that in a second. But it, it started with setting up the right values and the right behaviors. These are all on our website, which is farmstand.co.uk. The 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 direct to consumer website will be eatfarmstand.com when that's launched. But we just started with very basic principles, and I think you know. Treating people equally is really important, whether that's your supplier or your customer or, you know, the business partner that you have to use for distribution. And if there's anything that's unsettled out of that or your team, that stool, those three legs, you know, it's customer, employee and and supplier, that that stool is not going to stay stable. It's going to it's going to fall over. So we just thought it was really important. We provide transparency to our customers and how we price our food. We provide transparency to our suppliers and how we price it and the margins that we make. And we do the same thing with um, our entire team. Everyone owns equity in the business, as I mentioned. Everyone's an owner. And the idea for us is when you have those relationships, it makes it much easier. And so, you know, anything that I would say to a team member, I would also say to a supplier. Anything I would say to a supplier, I'd also say to a team member. There's no talking behind people's backs. It's always what you say to one person, you just say, you'd say behind their back. And we, you know, we have struggles sometimes like, look, it's not perfect. Some people aren't used to this kind of direct interaction and direct feedback. Um, we believe it, it's important, including myself and team have come to me about things they don't like. And I take the feedback, but it's all about learning. And one of our values is, um, is work in progress. So we're all always a work in progress. But again, I, all the values and behaviors and what we stand for are on our website under values and behaviors. So you can kind of see them all there. But there's 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 five values and there's probably about 14 behaviors and what we stand for about five things as well. But they're all they've been at the core of the business. And I'm part of an accelerator that's called the Unreasonable Group. And you know, one of the conversations we've had with 
you know, quite a few of the CEOs and founders is, you know, when you start a business from one person, which as a sole founder and you grow it to, you know, in some of these businesses we've been talking to as part of this accelerator where there are several hundred, how do you maintain that culture, especially when you're in different parts of the geography? And, you know, I shared our culture deck, which is about 60 pages that just talks about all these things with a, uh, one of my colleagues that just uh, had his business just got listed on one of the European exchanges. So this is the struggle he's having. He's got the hundred million in the bank that was raised from his IPO, but he's like, how do I maintain that culture? So it's important. So it seems so logical, but it's also very unconventional uh, unless you're in the impact space or you've been around uh, this, these type of groups for a while. Now, how did you come to an understanding of, of this is a type of leadership I want to include within my business? Um, and, and how has it also evolved over time and, and as you grow? Well, you know, it's back to the point where I grew up working class. I then worked in private equity where we bought businesses and, you know, we, you know, a lot of times we pull, put business together, you know, sometimes you'd have to meld cultures. I looked at a lot of compensation and a lot of times you'd have, you know, one of the things is, is, is treated equally. So we, our compensation level, you know, the head of operations and food, he makes the same thing I make. We only make two times higher on a salary basis than, than our lowest paid person that's paid a, a London living wage, which is effectively about $30,000 a year. And we're our CEO and as the, our head of operations and food, he's made, he's making about 60,000, you know, so it's not, we're, we're not making a lot of money. Everyone that's been part of the core team owns 1% of the company. Our business is now valued around $15 million. So these people are going to do very well. And so if we make compensation, you know, part of the main thing, it's important. I think that starts there, but then it's not just how you're paid. It's how you treat people. Just because I'm the CEO doesn't mean I know everything because I don't. Um, and that's what we very much allow people to do what they need to do. We have a, a weekly, a weekly call it used to be a weekly meeting and we manage things. A lot of it's done off Slack and allows people to, weigh in and have comments. And just because you're a junior person, you know, doesn't mean you're any less important than a senior person. So I think a lot of this stuff was just learned over time. I read a lot of books. I read a lot in general. There's a new book out just by the Netflix CEO called No Rules Rules. And, you know, his point when he started a business was not having no rules and how that might be successful. So how it's evolved is by reading, finding out what works and what doesn't work. And again, learning from your mistakes, it's back to one of our values. We're a work in progress and we're constantly learning about how things we can do better, whether it's learning from our team, our suppliers, or our customers. The customer's at the center of everything we do. So we want to listen to what they, what they want. But customer isn't always right, but we always have to listen to what they might do. And if it makes sense from us based on the data, because we're a very data-driven business, we have a data scientist, a head of data science, so we'll do a lot of machine learning and a lot of things around menu optimization and all these things. But again, back to the culture and compensation and building these things, you, you constantly are learning things. I think that's great. And it's going to be great for people listening to this as well. I feel like a lot of people have this um, mindset or a uh, example of a CEO, right, who just just making you know, 150 times more money than them. And they, they maybe have some angst against them or they um, just say, oh, it's not that hard of a job. And, and they don't really understand kind of what goes into uh, the day to day. Now, 
for people listening to this, what's been the most challenging thing for you with FarmStand, not with the other prior companies, but with FarmStand itself? What would you say has been the hardest thing about running this company? So I think, you know, as much as COVID was certainly uh, a watershed moment, you know, and it taught us, we learned a lot. We had to make some difficult decisions. You know, I think the, the hardest, still hardest thing for us has been always hiring the right people. And so you hire people that just don't share your values, don't share your behaviors, and ultimately don't believe in what you stand for. So everyone goes to an interview and says these things. And, you know, we've, we've you know, we, we had to do a massive, you know, restructuring and, and restart the business after, you know, closed most things down in March and then restarted in July. And what we decided then was we were only going to have people that really fit all those three things. And people sign up to our values and behaviors and what we stand for when we first join. Like no one has, no one has to be a vegan. Our belief is one plant-based meal a day is our goal for every person. Mm-hmm. We call that OMD. So one plant-based meal a day. So O for the one and meal a day is for the OMD. And we think that's a good place to start. But I think hiring, recruiting the right people, especially now during COVID time has been very challenging. But I would tell you the team we have assembled now, we've got 14 people on our team. That's the core team we have now. Um, a lot of the people that we've hired recently, because we're now 100% an online business, I've had to do interviews, you know, like we're doing, like doing this now. And what's been great is a lot of them came through referrals. We had a head of data science who came through us through cr- the crowdfunding. So one of our investors, who's also an investor himself, referred us to, to Sonia and that's worked out well. But I think what's most important is making sure you get the hiring right and that we haven't done historically very well. Over the last nine months, I, I built we have built the best team that I've ever been around. And I built $2 billion, other business, billion dollar businesses. This is by far the best team I've ever built. Stephen, I read you have a philosophy on hiring people uh, for just one skill versus a jack of all trades. Could you explain what you mean by that and, and why you, you feel that that is more efficient? Well, I think you ultimately need to be a jack of all trades from time to time, especially when you're in a, in a situation now where you, you have to have a lot of people doing a lot more things than they would normally do, right? So we used to have a head of operations and a head of food. We had to combine those roles. And ultimately, we're a food, we're a food business and we have technology. So, But I think you want to have specialists in different things. So we've got Johnny that runs direct-to-consumer growth. You know, We have Alessio that manages our community and our brand. Those are kind of two things, but really, they ultimately come down to one. We have you know, one person that's head of data science, one person that's our acting head of technology who works full-time as the, as the head of product at um, a fintech uh, unicorn that's based in the UK. I don't want to name the name because it's not in the public yet. And he's also going to be joining our board very soon too. But I think you have to find people that are good at one thing. And like I, if I say one, the one skill I have that I'm very good at is, is business development. So as much as I'm the founder and the CEO, I'm really the business development guy. Now, I happen to be the idea person, but everyone has ideas. But ultimately, my job day to day is trying to find ways of, of building the business. And I think if the person's doing technology, does technology, the person that does, like our head chef, you know, does his thing, our head of logistics does their thing, the head of training does their thing, that's great. We all have to share the same values and behaviors and what we and believe in what we stand for. And all being owners helps with that. But having that core skill and knowing what you're good at 
also makes you happy as well. But sometimes, you know, like I said in my TED talk, like you, you sometimes you've got to be willing to take out the, you know, take out the the garbage. You've got to be able to, you know, do whatever you need to do to help keep the business going. And sometimes it might be an answering a phone or responding to a customer's request for, you know, a meal. But I think our focus and what we rally around as a business and what we focus on every day, although we have each individual skills, is one fundamental transaction. And that is, how do we sell another meal? Mm-hmm. So that is what we rally around. And so anything that we're doing, whether it's marketing, technology, data science, menu development, it's how do we sell another meal? And, and you would say the, the purpose of your organization uh, to get people to eat one plant-based meal a day, to have that fundamental change. Do you think that's a reason people feel more engaged in your organization? Well, like, look, you know, to tell everyone that had to join us that they had to be a vegan, like that just doesn't make sense. And it's not realistic. And some people don't have, you know, uh, there's, there's allergic allergy reasons why you can't be plant-based. You may have health issues. There's a lot of things. And I think ultimately, if you look at the big things that you can change and to help, you know, improve the environment is, is eating more plants. That's a top three or four reason, but the number one reason is avoiding food waste. And so that's another reason why everything we do is about, we send things that there's going to be zero food waste because we're doing it in a compostable or recycled bag. And if you can, if you want to freeze it for up to 30 days, you can do that. But I think one plant-based meal is reasonable. You know, when people realize it doesn't include cheese, you know, so that that's a bit of a bit of a challenge, but if you do that, you are helping the environment in a big way, but the biggest way you can help we still think, you know, one plant-based meal a day is we're called, we rally around plant powered people, but we're all about fundamentally healthy planet conscious, you know, food or for us is, is meals. I, I swear by my food delivery service. Like I, I tell my friends all the time, like, I think I save money at the grocery store because I buy all this stuff. There's all these products that are on sale and then I end up like either not eating it or cooking half of it, throwing it away. The cool thing about the food delivery service I have is it has the right ingredients. You know, it has the correct amount of spices I got to use and they're delicious meals Uh, and I feel healthy. It's a it's a game changing experience and I, I, I still feel like I pay less at the store. So having this fundamental shift for people going to a more food delivery based service, I think could really have a big change. And I don't think it has to do, like you said, anything really about, you know, the environment or plant-based meat, because not everyone can go that diet. It's more of just consumer demand and markets responding to that. Yeah. I think there are like, there's like, there's four on the deliver on the kind of last mile delivery, as you call it. So delivery from a kitchen, a dark kitchen or a central kitchen for us or a restaurant to a home or an office or it could be, you know, a kitchen that has ingredients like for your meal kits. You, you, there's really four segments. There's, you know, ready to eat meals that are being delivered by DoorDash. There's frozen ready to eat meals. There's meal kit businesses, which you described, and then there's groceries. And where we come out is we're we're really different than all four of them. Firstly, we're we're fresh. Right. Um, secondly, we're doing bulk, so we're not just doing individual meals. Um, we also there's no added sugar in our food. We have a complete customization. So rather than little single meals, you can do your base main inside and change things up. Oh. And our price point is 
like $6 per meal. So what's interesting about the meal kit business is you're probably looking at between maybe four to maybe $20 per meal. But remember, you've got to spend 30 to 60 minutes cooking. You've got to do another 30 minutes of cleaning up the dishes or putting them in the dishwasher. For us, you can heat and eat in five minutes. And what's nice about it is there's no waste. And like with, with a lot of the meal kit businesses, you've got a lot of plastic waste, all that's going to landfill. We've never had any landfill as a business. So these are other benefits. I'm not saying that those things are bad, but I think, it, you know, and the grocery is another thing. So it's, it's also, you got to shop, you can get your price point of like four to maybe, you know, $8 or $10 per meal, but you got to go shopping. That takes time. You've got to then cook your food. Then you got to wash it up. So you're looking at several hours. And I think with now with COVID and just things in life in general, we're all working pretty hard. We all have a lot less time. We're in a recession globally right now. We have a lot less money. So we think affordability is a key thing for us as well. So we affordably price our food so we can distribute it widely. And I think, again, for us, because I grew up working class, just because you're not wealthy, you know, our belief is everyone should be able to eat well and, 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 have, and enjoy what you're eating and get the right portion size. So, but I do think this delivery concept is is not going away. I think, you know, restaurants will come back, but I think people are going to want to be doing more stuff at home and partly because they need to save money, but also they want to be able to eat better as well, which I think is an edge for us. Now, I know you've mentioned this twice already, but now it's just hitting me like a brick wall. $6 a meal? Yeah. So how we do things, we do do small batch meals. We price our, the plant-based stuff much lower. So you can probably get, you know, it for you know call it for five five dollars and fifty cents what meat consists product. sorry what consists of a meal too in terms of the amount of so you're looking at a base so it could be um black and brown rice as a base you mm-hmm. could have um uh orzo which is a pasta as a base <clears throat> as a main you could have you know, there's a lot of things we we do as a business. We do a, har- a harissa chicken, which is all properly sourced. It's, you know, uh, sustainably sourced chickens. It's not caged chickens. It's not chickens that are that are factory farmed. Um, we've got we do a, a pulled beef. We do um, a nice, um, you know, four bean vegan chili. We do a mushroom stroganoff, which is veggie, which has got a little bit of creme fraiche. So it's got a nice creamy taste to it. Mm. So that would be a base and some mains um, that I've given you. And then as a side, you'll do like a mixed green. So it could be broccolis and peas and a bit of cabbage. Um, It could be um, sweet potato that's got some additional things added to it. And it could be, you know, lots of different things. But the whole key thing is making sure it tastes good and making sure that it, it changes seasonally. So that's the benefit for our business. So we, our food margins are in the high 70s, partly because we source really well and because we choose seasonal veg. The chicken and the beef and the fish that we choose, we just make sure it's all sustainably sourced, you know, and that, that's the key thing. Now, and the good news for us is we've got the European, you know, sourcing sorted out. I come from the U.S. So we have really good relationships in the U.S. and Asia. So that will work. But for us, we couldn't we didn't want to price a product that we couldn't that couldn't be affordable. We could very easily sell our food for fifteen dollars a meal and we could we would make a lot more money. But I didn't want to distribute just to, you know, you know, a, the A's and the B's, the ABC ones from a classification standpoint. 
We want to make sure you cover everyone. And we, we can do hospitals, we can do schools, we can do universities, and we can also sell on a wholesale basis and still make a 60% margin at a, you know, we sell on a wholesale basis around three pounds, $3, sorry, $3 and 50 cents. We can still make a 60% margin on that because we're not dealing with any packaging. We're not dealing with any distribution. We're distributing in bulk, right? So we're not doing individual meals. We're doing a a larger vacuum pack bag, which could be, you know, three kilos, Um, but it's all made in small batches. But we've, the operations around this and the numbers were, were very driven around that. And I, you know, that's part of my background. I, I studied economics and I've worked in for investment firms and investment banks. So it ultimately comes down to the numbers, but at the end of the day, if, you know, if you don't like the food, you're not going to, you're not going to continue to eat it. And that's been the good thing for us. We've sold over a million meals. We've generated over like $6 million in sales and it's gone really well. Uh, in terms of the operations, how has technology played a role in this in terms of reducing those costs and getting those orders and sourcing and, and the getting all the, the food, the supplies, all of that uh, stuff and the logistics? Like yeah, so like what we say in our business, we make decisions based on data, not on opinions, especially in my opinion, because it may not be right. So statistical relevance is probably above 30 data points. But in terms of machine learning, you have to have a thousand, thousands and thousands of data points. So a lot of this stuff is, is, is again, driven by how we make decisions, but everything we do is based on the data that we have. And we've been around for a few years. So we have that data to analyze. So that that's part of it. And that's where technology comes into play with now being offering a direct consumer offering. Now we have to really up, the values on that. So it's software development. It's how do you market to people? It's what that customer acquisition cost is going to be. It's, you know, how do you create a social media following where people are interested and engaged in what you're doing? So a lot of this stuff comes around and, but the technology aspect is, is super important. And the data that you get from using technology is really important, but it's, it's, you know, data science helped optimize our menu. So we, we know what sells and what doesn't sell. We know where higher margin items are and where lower margins are. But by scraping data in the public domain with other people that have been around for a lot longer than we have, looking at customer reviews or whatever we do, we can use, you know, machine learning and other data science to, to optimize the things that we may want to do or may want to change in what we're doing. But customer feedback really helps a lot. And those sort of things. Uh, Steve, you mis- mentioned a few experiences, you know, whether it's growing up uh, with little to nothing, uh, whether you know, your t- education at NYU, uh, working for investment banks, uh, other companies in the United States, climbing seven summits. I mean, out of all these experiences, is there, is there one or two that's really helped you the most in terms of growing this company and, and learning about people and making sure that you can overcome fears? Well, there's deeper things that, you know, kind of go into me as well. So I have a a sister who has special needs. She's not mentally retarded, but she's in that kind of spectrum. So she's my eldest sister. I lost my my older brother when I was 17. He was was 18. He committed suicide. So I think, you know, um, empathy and understanding people and trying to connect to people, you know, know, it's hard. What's really important is that everyone's going through their own difficulty. I mean, COVID especially has been really challenging for people. So I think those two 
humans, people in my life have been my big motivations. It's not money. It's not fame. It's not doing the seven summits. It's not building billion dollar businesses. It's really trying to find that common ground with, with everyone. And when you come from humble roots, you have to, in order to get by, you have to find ways of connecting with people to help you grow as a person to develop the skills that you need to interact with people and engage with people, but also in business, you know, I don't believe in the word networking. It's I, you know, business development is about finding that connection with that, what their, that person or company is needs and how you try to match that need. And it's being a good listener. So I think if there's one skill as a CEO, and I think you kind of referred to this early on, you know, what would be the one thing that a real leader does is they listen that they, if they have great listening skills, that is the most important thing. Well, let's wrap this up then, Stephen. What's your definition of a real leader? Yeah, I think, you know, it starts with listening. It's learning. It's being radically transparent about everything that you're doing, good news and bad news. It's adjusting to the things, the feedback that you're receiving. Um, It's having, you know, strong values and behaviors and, you know, having the right things that you stand for. It's treating people equally. And those are the the, the common themes, but it starts with a strong foundation of values and behaviors. And then, you know, on that, it's the equality framework about how you do things. And then it's the listening and it's the growing and all those other things that I kind of mentioned early on. Steven, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. I learned so much. Thanks for sharing a lot of vulnerable uh, parts of your lives as well. Uh, we really appreciate, appreciate you keeping it real here on the Real Leaders Podcast. Also, my kitchen is dirty right now. I've got pans everywhere. I've got uh, you know these meals just taking a lot of money. It's like $84 a, a week I'm paying. I'm going to come to the UK. I'm going to get... Well, hey, listen, hopefully Farmside gets to the, to the US pretty soon as well. We've had options there, got some big partners so that may happen at some point right now as as hopefully this you know vaccine gets rolled out over the next kind of you know eight to nine to 12 months you know we'll we'll have some opportunities there but you know one step at a time but like look we'd love to 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 be in the states at some point that's where you know i grew up in milwaukee relative in chicago so hopefully at some point um some point that will happen well, as much as I love cooking, I'd rather just throw it in the microwave or throw it on a gram, uh, on a on a pan and, and cook that bad boy up. Eighteen dollars a week—that's a that's a massive feat right there, Stephen. Really excited about your company. Thanks for coming on the show, uh, and also we hope to see you later at the Realtors Impact Awards. So for Stephen Novick, I'm Kevin Edwards, asking you to go out there, listen, be radical, lead transparent, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks very much. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast with Stephen Novick. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And folks, if you didn't know by now, all of these episodes are streamed live on our Crowdcast channel. All you got to do is go online to realleaders.com slash podcast and either enter your email or RSVP for an upcoming episode. Also, folks, if you could please leave us a review, it's what helps this show continue and keep going. Leave a review, let us know what you think, and what others can expect when they land on the channel. That's it for me. Thanks for being a real leader, and stay tuned for the next episode.